Well, we've had kind of a full summer, even though we like to say we take a step back, but uh, our summer started with Kittapalooza, where we had just crazy amount of kids in here, and we had 37 kids make first-time decisions for Christ, right? And then we had our mission trips. So our kids, if you remember, they came in and we commissioned them. Um, we know nine more kids through our mission trips made first-time decisions for Christ, which is awesome. That's why we do our mission trips. So... And, and the funny thing is, is that our kids did trips last summer, and so we were thinking, okay, well, we'll, we'll take the summer off. So our kids came to us and said, well, you know, we'd really like to go, which that is something I don't, I don't want to quash them wanting to go on a mission trip. So I'm like, great. So they, they got signed up. So then my wife and I started thinking, well, they're both going to be gone, and we can get some projects done that we can't do when they're home. And so we saw Brian. If you don't know Brian Pete, he's our middle school youth pastor. So I saw him the following week, and I said, hey, your kids are signed up. They're going. Is everything, is everything set? And he's like, well, you know, we need another uh, male leader. And so I'm just like, okay, yeah, let me, let me think if I can think of somebody. And what I didn't know was my wife was eavesdropping on our conversation. And so as I'm sitting there going, you know, and he's describing, she's behind me going. <laughs> and he's like, Great. Our meetings start next week, and I'm, still, I'm not even on the same channel. I'm like, wait, what? And, she, and I realized that my wife had just signed me up for the mission trip. So that's love, right? So, so I say that. It, it was a great time. Um, if you're looking for a place to spend the summer, Atlanta is very cool. In the summer, it was only 96 instead of 106 here. But I say that because our leaders there were from Michigan and Pennsylvania, and so, yeah, so they were like, is it, is it always this hot? And I'm like, we're from Central Florida, it's hotter. I'm like, this, this 96, this is cool, this is nice. Um, and so just to brag on our kids for, for our mission trip, so we, we did the Atlanta trip. Here's the impressive thing. So you're talking 13-year-old kids who they, they built this playset, okay? First time working with drills, and that's, this is scary, drills and saws. And so for the leaders, here's what we're supposed to do, even though we, we got in trouble a few times because the kids are supposed to, they're, they're building this. I mean, they did, but they've never really worked a drill or a saw. And so we're supposed to like be there and they're like, you know, and the screw's going in sideways. And they're like, is it, is it supposed to go in sideways like that? And I'm like, no, it's, it's not. supposed. And then when the leader, the leaders there uh, for the leader treks would leave, I was like, can I have that drill? There we go. Next board. Next board, we're good. So, but I say that, but in the morning, so this was a church that their, their playground equipment was, was defunct, it was ruined. And so we went in there, and so we, I say we, the kids built um, a playground set. And then during the afternoon, this was, was, this was awesome. We did VBS. Now, it was totally kid-led. And the leader in me was like, when they were doing it, I'm like, can I just, I want to, they're like, nope. They have, it's kids. And I'm like, ah, I just want to, nope. So they let it. And the scary thing for them is when we got to this apartment complex, they're like, where, where are the kids at? And we're like, well, you, you're going to have to go invite them. Well, at church, they just, I'm like, this isn't church. And so they went out into this community and literally invited these kids to the playground. And we shared the gospel, and we had three kids that made first-time commitments to Christ through these 13-year-old kids. 
So that, it's so encouraging when we do this to see these kids. Now, they, they were reluctant because this is really, for most of us, it's outside of our comfort zone to do this. And there was a lot of distractions and a lot of things going on, but they did it. And so, and this is just one trip. We know we had many other trips. So this is what's going on. We commission these kids, and I say it, they're kids going out and doing this. So it's so neat to be a part of this. And so I would encourage you when trips, if you're able to do it, it's, now, it's tiring. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I mean, you're up early and late, but it's so rewarding to see them and do that. So with that being said, um, so what I want to try to accomplish today is uh, we're going to be landing in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. If you're new, if you're new to church and you don't know this, there are four books in the New Testament that talk about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Christ. And those, those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, and in these books, there's a lot of stories. Okay, Jesus tells a lot of stories, especially in Luke, there's a lot of stories. These stories are called parables. And so Jesus uses stories to tell people what God's like. He tells them what grace is like, mercy, sin, prayer, generosity. And he uses common objects and common things that the people of that day would understand. So when he talks about wheat, and olives and grapes, they were farmers. They, they get it. And when he talks about animals like sheep and goats, they get that too because guess what? They have sheep and goats. So, so he's talking to them in a language that they understand, and the common man really, really flocked to Jesus. And his ministry wasn't without controversy because when he first began his ministry, he was in his hometown. He was in Nazareth, and he was in his own church, a synagogue, and it was his time to read. And so they handed him a scroll of Isaiah. And so he takes the scroll and he, and he opens it up and he says, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The recovery of sight to the blind to proclaim release to the captives, to set free those oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolls it up, hands it to the attendant, and he goes and sits down. And everybody was like, and he says, that's me. That's me. He says, today that scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing. And they go, okay, isn't he Joseph's kid? Right? That's Joseph. Guys, is that Joseph's kid? And he's saying he's the Messiah? Is that what I'm hearing? And so then Jesus has some unflattering words for them about how there's very little faith in Israel. And it says they try to run him out and throw him off a cliff. That, that's how his ministry begins. And so as he starts feeding people, healing people, and in another instance, he's teaching, and the Pharisees and scribes are there, and I... And a guy's paralyzed, and his buddies are trying to get him in to see Jesus, and they can't get him in because it's so crowded. You might know the story. So then what do they do? They go up on the what? Roof and what? Cut a hole, put him down in front of Jesus, and he says, wow. Okay. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, what did you just say? Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, Okay. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? Well, to say your sins are forgiven. 
But he says, just so you know, okay, just so you know that the Son of Man, which is another title for the Messiah borrowed from the book of Daniel, just so you know that I have authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the guy does what? Gets up and he walks. <gasps> and fear gripped the people. Maybe, maybe he is God. And so Jesus would seek out these people. Now, I don't know about you, but he would seek out tax collectors. Does anybody here seek out? Has anybody ever sought out the tax collector? <laughs> anybody? I don't think I've paid enough. Come back. Come back here. He would walk up. Now, tax collectors in that day were Jewish, but they worked for the Romans. Okay? They, they were traitors, basically. And so the Romans would say, okay, as long as you get 100 bucks, we're good. Anything above that, you can keep. So the tax collectors would look at you and go, hmm, that's, that's a nice suit. Thousand bucks. Just come up with them out. So Jesus walks up to this guy named Levi. We know him as Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He walks up to him and he goes, Levi, give it up. Follow me. So he got up, followed Jesus, and then he throws a big party. And if you're a tax collector, who are your friends? Other tax collectors. So Levi throws a party. Jesus goes. Pharisees show up. What's going on in there? Is Jesus in there? Is he in there? And then Jesus comes out. He's like, what's going on? And he said, would you know who's in there? Which is funny because Jesus has got, does he know who's in there? Of course he knows who's in there, right? And then he goes, what's the problem? Well, you know that there's tax collectors and sinners in there. And he goes, well, hold up. Which one of you calls the doctor when you're well? Does anybody in here do that? How would that go if I called my doctor? Hey, hi, yeah. No, I'm fine. I feel great. Why am I calling? Just to tell you that. Tell you that I'm, yeah. No, I'm not sick. Not at all. No, Hello? Hello? Because we don't do that. And so Jesus says, you don't call the doctor. When, when do you call the doctor? When you're sick. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. Guess who I came to call? Sinners. And guess who's in there? He's anointing me to preach the gospel to the what? To the poor. Not just physically poor, the spiritual poor, which we all are. And so at another time, Jesus is south of his hometown. And he's, he's walking up to the city gates of a town called Nain. And there's a funeral. Now, Jesus has his disciples, big crowd with him. And she's got a big crowd with her. And as he's walking up, it's a widow. And she's got her son, her only son that she's bearing. If you know anything about how property transfers, if your husband dies, then your son needs to take care of the mom. Well, now her son has died. So Jesus felt compassion for her. He walks up and he goes, you know what, don't, don't, don't weep. And he puts his hand on the coffin, which coffin are for dead people. And he says, get up. And this son who was dead gets up and he gives him back to his mom. And what do you think the reaction of the people are? If you were going to a funeral and you came back home and they're like, I thought you were going to a funeral. Guy got up. <laughs> as soon as they started, he sat right up and, wow, it's not a funeral anymore. So it says, the news of this, as you can imagine, see, gossip was the first century internet. So it says, this story went viral. Okay, Judea went everywhere. So they know what he's doing. So the Pharisees and the people, they're, they're watching. And so 
one of the Pharisees, his name is Simon. He comes up to Jesus and he says, would you like to come to dinner to my house? Jesus says, sure. I mean, yeah. So the thing with dinners in first century in the Jewish culture is that hospitality is a big deal. This would have been like a banquet and Simon has some money, okay? So a big banquet party. The host and the guest would have been expected to play out their roles to a T, okay? And so if you put up that picture of a home, so they didn't have air conditioning back then. So a lot of open air spaces, uh, the gate would have been open. What would have been typical is that you would have had this banquet, you would have had the host, the guests, and then you have these uninvited guests, which would be the community, okay? Very typical for the community to come in and watch this because they only had three channels on their TV and theological debates somehow are fun. So they would have wandered in, in and out and it doesn't disturb the people because the gossip has gone out. Jesus is gonna be at Simon, not, not Simon Peter, okay, Simon the Pharisee, his house. So the community is gonna be there. And so Simon invites Jesus, keep that in mind. He invites Jesus. So now if we had people show up at our house for a party that were uninvited, that would be really weird, right? If they showed up around your table, you're like, okay, I don't know who you are, why you're here, but you need to leave. For them, not so much. So here's the thing. Sneaky Simon, he invites Jesus, but all of the guests arrive and the community's already there when Jesus shows up. So it says Jesus came in and he reclined. Well, it's not a table and chairs like we have. You don't come in and sit down. It would have been a low table, probably with some nice cushions because Simon's got some money. He would have reclined on his left arm and their feet would have been back behind them, okay? And so it's not so much what's in the story, what's not in the story. Simon is the host, but here's what he does. He doesn't give Jesus a kiss at the door. He doesn't give him oil to anoint and he doesn't give water to wash his feet. Why is that a big deal? Well, they wore open-toed sandals in those time, and guess what kind of roads they walked on? Dusty, dirty roads. And animals use that road. Now, when you feed an animal, what happens? It poops. So you've got dirt, and you've got poop. Poop on your feet. So you come in, there's poop on your feet. Can you see how water would be pretty? So the thing is, the community's there, the guests are there, Jesus comes in, and Simon does absolutely nothing. Let me see if I can put this in a better perspective. Let's say that my family and I had been coming to Bay Life for a few months. I come up to Mark in the corner afterwards. I go, hey, you know what? We'd really like you to come over to our house and talk more about this Jesus thing. Could you come over? Sure. Okay. Give me the address, the time. So I tell him to show up at 630, but I tell all my friends and guests to show up at 6. So if you've ever hosted a party or had friends over, when they knock on the door, what do you do? You go to the door. I'm I'm just testing you. Go to the door, open it, and do what? Nice to see you. Glad you could make it. Shake their hand, give them a hug, right? Then you might say something like, can I take your coat if you're up north and here? Can I take your umbrella and park your boat over there to get here? (laughs) And then you would say something like, there's food on the table, the drinks are over there, come on in and make yourself at home. Right? Have I lost anybody? Have you ever had any friends over? We're, yes? Okay, we're a friendly church, but we have no friends over? Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Imagine that you're there, and I see Mark coming to the door, and I go and sit down. And he 
and I don't get up. And he, uh, hello, is anybody? I don't say a thing. I don't do anything. I don't greet him. And he makes his way in, and he goes and sits down. If you're there, and you're witnessing that, what are you, what are you thinking? What in the world is this guy doing? Now, who invited who? I invited Mark into my home, and I do what? Neglect to welcome him. Okay. In this scene, Simon has invited Jesus, and he's neglected all of the normal hospitality that you would expect. So if you're there, war has been declared, and everybody's waiting to see what Jesus does. And so in the crowd, there's a woman as part of the community. And it says this woman was from the city, and it just says that she was a sinner from the city. Some, some versions say she was plying her trade in the city. We think she's a prostitute. So this prostitute shows up, and she's watching what's going on and what Simon has just done to Jesus. And the thing is, is she was probably at some point, she might have been at Levi's house, and she was a part of um, a meeting at some place where Jesus proclaimed this offer of love for sinners, sinners like her. So she's come, and if you put my picture up, she has this alabaster, this vial of perfume. She's come prepared. She's going to anoint Jesus' feet. But she's watching this scene unfold, and so she, she comes forward from the crowd, and it says that she approaches Jesus' feet, and she starts crying on his feet. And she has no towel. And if she asked Simon for a towel, what do you think Simon would say? So what does she wipe his feet with? Her what? Her hair. Ladies? Ladies? I know, I see it. Mm-mm. Find somebody else's hair. And here's the thing. This, this would have been scandalous because what, she's a prostitute. He's a rabbi. She's touching him. She lets her hair down. Now, we may not think a whole lot about that, but in the first century, the only time a woman lets her hair down is when she's with her husband at home alone, not here. Do you see this scene? And so now she starts kissing his feet. Remember, they're not washed. She starts kissing his feet. And then she takes that perfume and she pours that perfume out and anoints him. Now, that perfume would have been made for a prostitute. So when you smell it, you go, prostitute. She would have used that. That would have been very valuable, not only money-wise, but valuable to her in her trade because she uses it to sweeten her breath and also to perfume herself. Now the whole house smells like prostitute perfume. It would be like if you walk through Macy's or Dillard's on a loop, right? Just, <laughs> psh, oh, psh, and just keep getting hit. And so now, this scene that's unfolding, nobody has said a word. Jesus hasn't said a word. She hasn't said a word. And we have a saying, actions speak louder than words. And so everybody's watching this. And so Simon totally misses. He, he's thinking, this poor guy. And, and we get some insight in why he invited Jesus. He goes, this guy's not even a prophet. Because <laughs> if he was, does he know who's touching him? Because Simon is looking at this and he goes, this is, 
first of all, improper that she's touching you. But what he misses is that this is the outpouring of love from a repentant woman. And here's the thing. Why does she pour out all that perfume on him? Because she doesn't need it anymore. That's her old life. See, when you meet Jesus, he changes things, doesn't he? And so this woman has walked into this situation. Everybody's hostile to her. She's overcome because she watches how Jesus is being treated. And she goes, this is the guy. This is the guy, probably the first time in a while or ever, that has told me that I'm loved without an improper touch, that I'm loved, that God loves me. And so the way she sees him being treated, she can't, she's overcome. She can't help herself. She compensates for what Simon should have done. She's doing and pouring out to Jesus. And so have you ever, you told a story and as you're telling people, they're just like, I don't get it. Okay, well here, it's right over Simon's head because in that example that I gave you of inviting Mark to my house, if I had any kind of sensitivity at all and I watched as Mark come in and I didn't greet him, one of you got up and did my job, what should I, what should I say? Oh, what a jerk. I am so sorry I forgot to welcome you. I apologize and thank you for making up for my shortfall. Right? I mean, you, Simon doesn't do that. He says, this poor guy doesn't know who's touching him. Well, once again, Jesus is God. He knows exactly who's touching him. And so he, tell, he, he starts to tell a story to Simon. It's called Keep It Simple, Simon. Right? Because he's totally missed it. So, so he says, Simon, can I, can I ask you a question? Yes, Jesus, what is it? He says, well, let me just let me tell you a story. He says, there was a guy, there was a moneylender, and he lent some money to two people. And when neither of them could pay him back, and by the way, what's the amounts? One of them owed 50000 one of them owed 5000 They both borrowed money from this guy. They couldn't repay. When they couldn't repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which one's going to love them more? Now, if you're there, you know, and you're maybe a friend of Simon, you're like, I mean, it's almost like Jesus asks trick questions almost, but you're like, Simon, it, it's the bigger one. It's, it's the 50. And so Simon goes, I guess that one. And Jesus goes, yep, that's right. And so to help you understand, is he really talking about just debt here? Let me see if I can lead you. When the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? What's, what's, how do we do that? He gave him a model. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. And forgive us our, some versions say trespasses are older. And then some of our NIV, ESV says what? Debt. Our debt. So is he talking about your home mortgage and your car? And he's like, just forgive us. Or what do you think he's talking about? So in this story, you have two people. Someone in close proximity that realizes that they have a lot of sin. I wonder who that could be. Maybe the woman? Maybe? And then you've got another person 
I really don't have a whole lot of sin at all. Who do you think that could be? Simon. And so Jesus tells the story. And Simon guesses right. He goes, this one. He goes, yep. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? From the time that I came in, first of all, you gave me no water. Okay. It's not that Jesus is telling Simon, hey, you need to wash my feet. It's the fact that he didn't even give him any water. And so he says, since I came in, this, this woman here has wet my feet with what? Her tears. And she's wiped my feet with what? Her hair. How about a kiss? You didn't give me a kiss. What, is she, what has she done? Kiss my feet. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And then how about anointing? No oil, nothing. And what has she done? She's poured out everything and anointed my feet. And so he says, when you have a lot of sin and you're forgiven a lot and you're forgiven much, how much do you love? A lot. And if you think you have a little bit of sin and there's really no need for forgiveness, how much do you love? Not a whole lot, very little. And so the audience, when Jesus is telling the stories, it's not just so he can tell this and you walk away and go, oh, that was, that was neat, okay, I feel better. It's to push you in that audience to go, am I like this woman? Do I have a, lot, do I have a debt that I can't repay? Have I recognized that I have and that the only way that I can be forgiven is to come to this, this one named Jesus, this unique agent that God has sent, that through him I can get forgiveness? Have I realized that? Or am I like Simon? And he, there's really no need for forgiveness. It, it reminds me of another story that Jesus told his disciples where two men went up to the temple to pray. You may know the story. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee goes up into the temple and he goes, ah, boy, ain't it great to be me. I'm not a swindler, not an adulterer, like that tax collector over there. I, I fast twice a week, twice, and I tithe on everything I get. I know, I'm good. And the tax collector doesn't even lift his head and he says, Lord, you know what type of man I am and you know what I do. He said, just have mercy on me. And Jesus says, which one of those two walked away justified? Not the first. It was the second. And so here in the story, this woman has come in this outpouring of love for the one who has shown her that God actually cares for people like her, sinners. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And guess what the people's reaction is? <gasps> Did he say that again? Her what? Her sins are forgiven? Well, because one, we have sins that need to be forgiven, yes? And also, he's the one who can forgive them. And then this is how he ends, verse 50, look at it. He said to the woman, your perfume has saved you. Your bank account has saved you. Your good looks have saved you. Any of that? Nope. What does it say? Your faith has saved you. And Jesus is such a master storyteller in the way Luke writes is that he says this and then if you were watching a drama, the curtain comes down. What happens? 
And he does this in other stories. Good Samaritan, have you heard of that story? Lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him a story. Guy gets robbed, but then what? Priest, Levite, and a Samaritan? Who is it that proved to be the neighbor? And the lawyer goes, the last one. He goes, yep, go live like a Samaritan. And the lawyer goes, and walks away. What happens? We don't know. How about the prodigal? Father has two sons. Youngest son says what? Give me some money, dad. And he gives it and goes and what? Parties. Comes back. And the father does what? Throws a party. Throws a party. The older son is still out in the field. And the father goes to the older son and says, hey, your brother that was lost, we thought he's dead. He's, he's back. Why don't you come in? Does he come in? We don't know. If we had an ending to this story, what should Simon, what, what should have been his response? It should have been something like, you know, Jesus, I've realized now that I'm a sinner just like she is. In fact, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big sinner. I've realized I've got a lot of sin because for me to sit here and say I don't have any sin, but yet I've treated you harshly and I've insulted you and to say I don't have any sin, it's kind of funny. But I have a lot of sin like she does. I haven't heard this offer of grace and forgiveness like she has. She's received it. I haven't. And you know, my friends and I give you an awful hard time for hanging out with sinners. We do. But you want to know the truth? If you want to avoid hanging out with sinners, you, sh you shouldn't avoid hanging out with her. Who should you avoid hanging out with? Me. Should. This is the response that, and this is why such a master storyteller that Jesus fleshes this out and shows. Because remember, Simon invited Jesus and was going to show him to not be a prophet and not be the person. But oh, how the tables have turned. And now Jesus is showing what? We are all in need of grace, aren't we? And he offers it, doesn't he? And so that's why we sang Amazing Grace. In fact, we're going to stand and we're going to sing that again. So if you'll stand.
I know that sounds bad, a wretch, and that's who we are. Last week, we had a person receive Christ in our prayer room. So much like this woman in our story, we don't know her name, she recognized that she had a debt, we all do, that we can't pay. We can't earn it. We don't deserve God's grace. That's why it's called amazing grace. And so the bad news is we're sinners. The good news is that God's grace is greater than our sin. And the beautiful thing about this story is Jesus said when neither one of them could repay, he graciously forgave them both. And so here's the thing. I think probably most of us are here. We've realized that our sin has separated us from God. There's a debt we can't pay. And we've said yes to Jesus. That should trigger an outpouring of love, adoration, worship, thankfulness with our life. But there might be people in here that they go, you know what, I, I don't love like that. And the thing is, is you'll never love people until you love God first. That's just how it works. And so I wanna pray for us that are here that we continue because if we continue, see there's nothing special about the messenger, it's all special about the message. It always has been and always will be. If we continue to share that message, humble ourselves, surrender and do that. You wanna know what's gonna continue to be up on this stage? Change lives. We'll continue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Jesus is such a masterful storyteller and how, uh, just how he can bring people to the, to the point where they see their need. And most of us in this room, we've come to that point where we realize our sin has separated us from you. But Jesus has made a way. He did what only he could do. He paid it all. And so that we can come back to the Father when we say yes to him. And I pray for those individuals, if you're in here this morning and watching online and you might identify with Simon, you, you're saying, you know what, I, it, it's never dawned on me. I've never really realized that I have sin. But here's the good news. Just in our story, he graciously forgave them both. God's offer of forgiveness still stands. Every time we come to him and say, Lord, be merciful, he is, because that's just who you are. So this morning, I pray for those individuals, and it's as easy as saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart, come into my life, and help me to live for you, and help me to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, we've got a prayer room, and I'll be in the corner. Come up and talk to us. But for the rest of us, it is amazing grace, and we love you. Thank you for loving us first, and may we be the people that continue to surrender. Help us to say thank you with our lives. We love you with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Mark will be back next week. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you. Thank you.